0: If you take your Bibles and turn to Jude, the book of Jude, and God willing, we'll be expounding verses twenty-two and twenty-three today. And next week will be our last time here in the book of Jude, and we'll have to find another book to teach out of. But what a powerful little book this has been—the book of Jude, "Words to the Wheat," Part Three. And we'll have words to the Lord next week. Jude verse 22. would be the next to the last book in your Bible. Last week we continued our study of Jude's words. When Jude was speaking to the true children of God. And he was telling us after telling us all the awful descriptions of these false teachers that have snuck into the church. And boy, do we have some false teachers that have snuck into the church. And uh, after telling us about these false teachers, uh, Jude began telling us what we're supposed to do as children of God as we're watching the truth get set aside, as we're watching churches fall away from the truth of the gospel, Jude says, if you'll look with me uh, now in uh, verse uh, uh, 20, uh, one, Jude says, we should be keeping ourselves, he says, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ into eternal life, which is where we left off last week. And we learned that Jude is not telling us that we have to keep ourselves saved. A lot of people could read that when he says, keep yourselves in the love of God. They could be uh, confused by that because it's impossible to be saved and to be ultimately condemned. It's not possible. Nevertheless, we do have an obligation uh, to not be like Jesus' other disciples who in the Gospel of John chapter 6, they follow Jesus for a while and after being confronted with the truth of the gospel, uh, that were, wasn't what they were following him for. They were in, in it for the benefits, you know, the free food and the miracles. And, and when he confronted them about the gospel, the Bible says they turned and followed him no more. So faith in Christ is the work of God. And the work of faith that God begins, he's always faithful to complete that work. So God gives us both the obligation to continue to believe in His Son, but He also gives us the assurance that we will. Does that make sense? We have the obligation to continue to trust in Christ, but we have the assurance that God's Holy Spirit will continue to cause us to trust in Him. In uh, 1 Thessalonians, if you're taking notes, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23 and 24 the Apostle Paul said, In the very God of peace sanctify you wholly, and I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, how are we blameless in the sight of God? Through our faith in Jesus Christ. Because Jesus is blameless. God said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. So because God has imputed to us the righteousness of Christ. We stand blameless in Him. But listen to how Paul finished this. He said, faithful is He that calleth you, who also will do it. So, God not only called us to be blameless in Christ, but He will do that very work to preserve us unto the coming of His Son. So, while others fall away from the faith, the true believers shall Continue in it, we keep ourselves in god 's love, as we said last week, as rahab 's uh, family kept themselves in her house, hid behind that red rope, which was a, a a picture of our covenant in the gospel message. Now, go ahead and moving forward in our study this morning we 're going to come upon some verses that can be difficult for us to understand, so by god 's grace we 're going to spend some time in these two verses take our time, explain them, so no one will be uh, confused, God willing, by them when we get through. So after going into great detail describing these counterfeit teachers, telling us how bad they are, how they're condemned, uh, and uh, how uh, uh, malicious they are to sneak into the church and lead the people of, of God astray... After going into that great detail, Jude now tells the true Christians, look here in verse 22, this is what else we're supposed to be doing. He says, and of some have compassion. And of some have compassion. Now Jude's description of these counterfeit clergy has been grave and to the point, has it not? Not? Very grave, very heavy words Jude's been using. And when we read what Jude has to uh, say about these counterfeit pastors, it can put a very bad taste in our mouths concerning false teachers. I certainly do. I deal with false teachers all the time on um, my Know I'm Saved website where people write in for help. And I see the pain and the misery that's caused by false doctrine. And I I don't have patience with false teachers Uh, They are the enemies of the church, and we strongly condemn any corrupt gospel message. However, not every person who's mixed up in false teaching is an enemy of the church. Not every person who's mixed up in false teaching is an enemy of the church. Don't forget about the Apostle Paul. Remember him? The Apostle Paul didn't want to be wrong. He thought he was right. He was persecuting Christians. So in every sense of the word practically he was an enemy of the church, but in his heart Paul wasn't suffering from rebellion like the people brother Shepherd spoke on this morning in 2 Kings. Paul was suffering from ignorance. He did it ignorantly, right? So we don't need to be so swift to write people off and condemn them if they're mixed up in false doctrine. In fact, uh, I was mixed up in false doctrine before I became a Christian, but I didn't want to be. Were you, Brother Shepherd? After you became a Christian. All right. All right. So we, we all can get mixed up and confused and things like that. And and we see so many examples that in Scripture where perhaps someone comes along and shows them the way more perfectly or something like that. So, So we have to be patient with people. There's some people who, like Paul, are very zealous for God. They just haven't learned the truth yet. And then on the other hand, there are religious hypocrites who don't care about the truth at all. Now that's who Jude's been talking about. So we have to be ready to exercise compassion. On those who are tangled up in a web of false doctrine. And patiently share the truth with those people. Or else how are they going to get out? And by distinguishing between these people. Between those people who are counterfeit Christians. And don't care about the truth. Now brother Richard how do you know? How do you be able to distinguish? Well the Bible says he that is an heretic after the second third, and third admonition reject. Once you tell them the truth. And you patiently try to show them the truth, and they continue to reject it after seeing it, and they say, Nope, that's not what I want. All right, but that's different. They're rejecting the truth they've been told. But we're to have the ability to be able to distinguish and at least be patient enough to tell those people the truth. And when we do so, look back in your text, we are making a difference. Do you see that? When he says making a difference, he's not talking about, oh, you're making a difference. Boy, things are getting better. The, making a difference here means that we're making a distinction between those who are searching for the truth and those who are rejecting and corrupting it. you see that? You're making a difference between the two groups. The Greek word translated difference here means to separate thoroughly. Kind of reminds me of separating tares from wheat, right? You're able to tell the difference between the tare, the wheat, between the sheep and the goat. That's making a difference. That's separating something thoroughly. And so the literal translation of the Bible puts it this way. In pity some, making a distinction. Now if you have a different translation of the Bible, yours might say something. To the fact of have pity on those who are in doubt Because the Greek word translated difference here in the King James uh, can also be translated doubt. But I actually believe the King James translators got it right here. When I study the context in light of uh, what Jude has said before, it makes absolute sense. So I believe the King James translators have it right. Uh, But the truth is some people are weak. Some people do struggle with doubt. And we do need to be compassionate toward them uh, and make a distinction between them as, as well. But uh, I don't believe that's what Jude is saying. So, have compassion on some people. Making a distinction between them and those counterfeit clergy. Verse 23, and others, Jude says, save with fear. And others, save with fear. Now, the salvation of the lost is the work of God alone. So Jude is not saying that we can actually save anybody. I can't save you. The work of salvation was completed 2,000 years ago on the cross. Okay? And it is the Holy Spirit alone who takes a person and draws that person by the Father's will to put their faith and trust in what Christ has done for us. But by preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, we do participate... In the salvation of lost souls. And and it is absolutely amazing to me that God lets us have a part in that work. It's just amazing to me that in God's great wisdom, in God's great love for us, He's chosen to include us in the process of His saving work. We don't know how many people. Uh, I have people come on the website all the time getting our... Our our Knowing I'm Saved books and whatnot. And and I wonder sometimes, I wonder if one of those came from a sticky track that was put up. We just don't know. But they're coming in all the time. And I thank God for it. had two uh, write for help this week while I was in Kentucky. And one from the United Kingdom come into the website as well. And uh, I just thank God for that. Y'all keep praying for these people. They're wanting to know the gospel. They're wanting to, to know Christ as their Savior. But by preaching the gospel of Christ, we participate in the salvation of lost souls. And it's amazing that that God would include us in that process. As the apostle Paul said in the book of Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10 verses 13 and 14. Paul said, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That means trust in his name. But then he asked this question. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? Definitely the preaching of the gospel is necessary for the salvation of a lost soul. There have been many instances over the years when citizens, definitely a lot of policemen, but citizens too, Have rescued people from their burning vehicles. Maybe you have before. But in their mercy, while the car is on fire, they stretch their hands into the fire. They lay hold on those people who were involved in that wreck and they pull them out of that fire to safety. And every time we preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to the lost, we are stretching out our hands into the fire. A fire far worse than a fire in a car. One that cannot be quenched. One that in the book of Revelation describes as the smoke of the torment. Ascendeth up day and night forever and ever. Every time we preach the gospel we're reaching our hands out to the lost. If peradventure they would take hold of that gospel message. And by doing so be pulled from that eternal fire that awaits them. Oh what a marvelous privilege it is. That God has bestowed upon us a small part in the salvation of mankind by telling the story of the salvation of His Son. Now if you would, take your pen and underscore the word fear. Underscore the word fear. It says, and others save with fear. The word translated fear here isn't like the word we've been studying in Proverbs. That means reverential fear for God, like respect. When we read about the fear of the Lord in Proverbs, that's what it's talking about. But here, it's speaking more about the type of fear that we use in our English language today. It's talking about being alarmed, being afraid of something. And Jude says we should pull these people out of the fire with fear. I've spoken to people before who were afraid that they didn't believe in Christ With the right motive. That uh, they were afraid that the only reason they were trusting in Christ as their Savior because they were scared they were going to hell. But we see here that fear is an ordained motivator for coming to Christ. I want you to think about when God gave His law on Mount Sinai. Y'all remember that? The earth is quaking, the mountain is shaking. There's fire and there's smoke, and God is speaking so loud it's hurting people's ears. And when the people uh, saw that, that uh, incredible sight, and that experience they had, uh, that was uh, pretty scary for them, wasn't it? And so they asked Moses, Moses, you go talk to God for us. So they started backing away from that mountain, remember? They thought, oh, we're getting away from him. They said, Moses, you go talk to God for us. You come back and you intercede between us and and the God on that mountain. Because we're afraid if he talks to us again, we're going to die. They're scared to death. Literally scared to death. And when the people did that, the Bible explains that that was a picture of God's law, the Ten Commandments, showing us that we need a mediator. As they needed Moses to go between them and the God on that mountain because they were afraid, because they were sinners and they broke that law, that was a picture that we also need a mediator between God and us. And that mediator is who? The Lord Jesus Christ. There is one God, the Bible says, and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. But what was the people's motive for seeking Moses' intercession? They were afraid. Exodus chapter 20, verse 18 and 19. If you're taking notes, Exodus chapter 20, verse 18 and 19 says, And all the people saw the thunderings and the lightnings and the noise of the trumpet and the mountains smoking. And when the people saw it, they removed and stood afar off. In other words, we're getting out of here. And they, sp- they said unto Moses, Speak thou with us and we will hear but let not God speak with us lest we die. Even so, we need to warn people of the coming judgment of God. And if God should be pleased to use fear as a motive for some poor soul to cast their hope on Christ, then praise God for it. So be it. In Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10 and 11. The Apostle Paul warned that we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That every one may receive the things done in his body according to, to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. And then Paul said this, Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. So by warning people of the judgment to come and their need to receive Christ, we are, look back in your text, pulling them out of the fire. See that? Why do we pull someone out of, the, of a burning car? We're afraid they're going to die. <laughs> right? It's the same way here. We, we need to be motivated with fear. The people we hear that, that hear us need to be motivated with fear. And we need to preach the gospel, reaching our hands into the fire, of hell and pull them out of that fire. I remember speaking to a Calvinist pastor one night. Who told me that God's elect are saved before they ever believe in Christ as their Savior. He said they're his elect. They're just born saved. <laughs> well, that conflicts with Jesus, who said, "Ye must be born again," <laughs> and and uh, but he told me, "Yes, Jesus died for their sins and their sins alone. He died for the elect. So since their sins are paid for, they're not condemned at all. They're already saved before they believe in Christ." But Jesus said in John three eighteen, "He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already." Because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. We're not born believers. We're born unbelievers. So if someone is in a state of unbelief. That person is in a state of condemnation. That's biblical. And Jude said we should be saving people. Pulling them out of the fire. Now let me ask you this. If God's elect are already saved then why would you tell us to save them? If God's elect are already saved and not in a state of condemnation, then why do we need to pull them out of the fire? You see, that's the position every person is born in, in a state of unbelief, with their sin hanging over their head, Doomed for an eternal fire until the gospel is preached to them. And when they hear the story of what Jesus has done, by faith, they can acknowledge God as their God. They can acknowledge themselves as sinners and they can acknowledge Christ as the one who came to atone for that sin. They can believe the message, accept Christ as their Savior, and by doing so, they'll be pulled out of that fire. Until we have faith, we remain in a state of condemnation. We are unjustified and we're without peace. Now, as a matter of warning, Jude says that we should pull these people out of the fire. Look back in your text. Hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. Now, you can see while we're slowing down and taking our time going through these scriptures, can't you? I believe Jude is giving this warning to evangelists as a, as a matter of warning not, not for the lost but for the soul winner for the person sharing the gospel with people that when we do this when we're pulling people out of the fire by telling them the gospel message we should be hating even the garment spotted by the flesh you see when we minister to sinners it can bring us in close contact with their sin sure can I've counseled a lot of people I've listened to them tell me about their sin, and oh my goodness, you feel like you need to take a shower sometimes to get through, right? But when when we minister to sinners, uh, it brings us in close contact with their sin. And, and one thing that I've noticed over the years, especially within the last 10 to 15 years, I've noticed that churches have... Well, they, they they call it being seeker-friendly, right? When really it's more tolerant of sin is really what it's become. I've noticed people uh, allowing homosexuals to attend and work and serve in their church. They say, well, we, we're not in a place of condemnation. We're all sinners. But you know what? When we're, we're ministering to people, Jude says, we need to be hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. Hating. Hating. That's a strong word, Brother Richard. You better believe it is. But you know what? I hate sin. I'm prone to sin. I've got a fallen flesh just like you do. But I tell you what, I hate it when I sin. Now, it's only about once or every other year that I've sinned, Brother. But <laughs> so I want you to understand that. But boy, I hate it when I do. No, I'm in a state of, of coming short of God's righteousness every day. Just like you. But we need to hate sin. We don't ever need to get to the point where we lower the standard. And say, well, you know, we don't want to offend anybody. Listen. If that person doesn't smell that smoke and hear the crackling of that fire in that vehicle... If they don't see the fire on Mount Sinai, God, what did God do when He put fire on the mountain? What did He do when He shook the mountain? What did He do when He did that? He let them know. And, and God put boundaries around the mountain. said, you, you don't even come touch the mountain or you'll die. What was God showing them? I am holy. You are unholy. If you don't have a mediator between me and you, you will die in your sin. And, God, and I hate sin. <laughs> That's what God's showing them right there. It, the only thing that can cause us to come to Christ to be saved is to see sin the way God sees it. If we don't see sin the way God sees it, we'll have nothing to run away from. We'll have nothing to be saved from. The angel said, Thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sin. I believe Jude is telling us that we need to be careful not to allow our association with sinners to contaminate our own lives and to lower our own standards for the church. We should love the sinner. That's why we pull him out of the fire. But we should hate the sin. Not too long ago, we used Zechariah chapter 3 verse 2 through 4, to explain Jude's description of Michael, the archangel, contending with the devil. Remember that? Zechariah chapter 3, 2 through 4. And if we can turn back to that passage again, I'd like for us to see some very similar language in Zechariah that may help us understand this passage here in Jude once again. Now, when the devil accused Joshua the high priest, that was what was going on there. The Joshua the high priest was standing before the Lord. The devil was standing there. Satan was standing there accusing Joshua the high priest because Joshua represented the nation of Israel. He was the high priest. The only problem was he was a sinner. <laughs> and, and how can he represent the nation of Israel? And there was this problem here and in uh, Zechariah chapter 3 verse 2. Uh, toward toward the, uh, the 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 middle of that verse, it says, "The Lord said unto Satan, listen to how God responded to Satan's accusation of uh, of Joshua.' The Lord rebuked thee, O Satan. Even the Lord that hath chosen Jerusalem rebuked thee. Is not this a brand plucked out of the fire? It's like a like a stick burning up." And I plucked it out of that fire and spared it. That's what Joshua was. That's what the nation of Israel was. A brand in the fire. And God says, I snatched it out and spared it. That's what I was. Jude says, others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire. And then he goes on. Look in verse 3. Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments. Isn't that what Jude says? Hating even the garments spotted. Pull them out of the fire. But when you pull them out of the fire, you hate even the garments spotted by the flesh. So it says, Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and stood before the angel. The angel's Jesus. And the angel, I'm sorry, and he answered and spake unto those that stood before him saying, Take away the filthy garments from him. He wasn't saved in his sin. He was saved from his sin. The Lord didn't say, well, I'm just going to take away the penalty and let you continue in your sin. He says, I'm going to take away the penalty. I'm going to make you unqualified for hell, but I'm going to make you qualified for heaven. Now, how did he do that? He says, take away the filthy garments from him. When Jesus died on the cross... Do you know what happened to my filthy garments? They were put on Jesus. They were put on Jesus. And then he says, and unto him he said, behold, I have caused thine iniquity to pass from thee. It's gone. And I will clothe thee with change of raiment. What happened uh, with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden? God took away the filthy garments. He took away the, 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 the fig leaves that they sewed themselves together. He took those garments away. What did He do? He gave them a change of raiment. He put on them the skin of an innocent animal that died in their place. And now what does God do with us? He takes away the filthy garments. And He clothes us with the righteousness of Christ who died in our place. He says, I'll give thee change of raiment. Jerusalem was a brand plucked out of the fire by God's mercy. God loved Joshua. He pulled him out of the fire. But Joshua was clothed with filthy garments. And what the Lord does with Joshua shows us the attitude that we must have when evangelizing the lost. It shows us the attitude we must have as a church taking a stand. Listen, by God's grace, we will never apologize for preaching against sin. And if it hits you square between the eyes, I like what one old preacher used to say. There's three things you can do with it. You can either get mad, you can get sad, or you can get Glad one of the three <laughs> you can get glad by getting right with God you can get mad and run away you can get sad and mope or you can just or you can say you know what I'm wrong and we're going to preach against sin the Lord Jesus here said take away those dirty garments from him he acknowledged he pointed them out he gave him some new clothes the Lord loved Joshua He loved the sinner, but the Lord hated Joshua's sin. He told Joshua, behold, I've caused an iniquity to pass from thee, and I will clothe thee with change of raiment. The Lord does not have a cheap gospel. He doesn't simply come again to deliver us from hell. He comes to qualify us for heaven. His ultimate work in salvation is to make us like himself. Which one day he'll complete when he comes again. But the tenderness the Lord showed Joshua concerning his sin was very precious. When the devil accused Joshua, Jesus ran to his defense. Jesus didn't run to his defense and say, oh no, Joshua's good. He didn't run to his defense and say, well don't talk bad about him. Not my boy. That's not how Jesus ran to his defense. He ran to his defense by changing his clothes. By removing the dirty garments and taking a new change of garments which represented the righteousness of Christ. The law obeyed on Joshua's behalf. Never make light of sin when preaching the gospel. Be compassionate. Tell it like it is. Love the sinner. But hate the sin. And with that we'll go ahead and close for today. And Lord willing we'll take back up. Next Sunday in verse 24. With a wonderful assurance. That Jude's going to give the people of God. And give God all the glory for that assurance. It's good to have uh, uh Pond and his mother with us this morning and uh uh man I hadn't seen in years but um uh, who got covid and um and uh we prayed for him a while back, and he's grateful and so he and his mom came here to be in church with us today and he's still um uh suffering from uh, uh ability to be able to breathe as he should and all and He's wanting to get back to work. And men, uh, Brother Mark knows back there what it's like when you want to get back to work and earn a living for your family. And, uh, and his wife's about to have surgery. So he's kind of going through the fire today. But uh, we're going to pray. We're going to close in prayer. and we're, y'all, y'all keep him in your prayer that God will restore his health completely. And uh, good to have our former uh, military man back here with us today. You're free now, is that right? I bet you'd sign up if you could go fight in Ukraine, would you? I think I'd go fight in Ukraine if they'd let me right now. So let's keep them in your prayer too. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come to you today. Lord, I want to thank you, Father, for those who are here, who took the time out of their day to come hear your word, to come worship you. And Father, I pray, dear Lord God, that what we read today will settle down into our hearts, and those truths will change our lives, and will Have the mind of God in us. That Lord knowing the terror of the Lord as Paul said will persuade men not be lax in sharing the gospel. And while we share the gospel Father not be lax dear Lord God to lower the standard of your holiness. And become tolerant of sin. But to become intolerant of sin. But move with compassion to pull the sinner out of the fire by sharing them your word. I want to pray, Father, for those who are here today. I pray for Gabriel, that you'll restore his health. I pray, dear Lord God, for, uh, Lord, those who are looking for work, Father, you'll put them uh, in the job you'd have them to have and struggling with uh, health and other issues, dear Lord God. And all the prayer requests that have been made since last Wednesday, Lord, by this church. We bring them up to you now, and we pray your mercy and your grace upon them. And I pray you'll continue to strengthen this church, Lord God. Help us to follow the Lamb wherever He goes until He comes back for us again. In His precious name we pray. Amen.